0: Of heights, to the depths of the sea.
1: Remember that Elijah served God. He didn't serve Ahab. And that's what attracted, I think, Ahab to Elijah. In the text, if you read it, there's meetings between him and Ahab. And, and Ahab was searching for him so that he could arrest him. But whenever they're together, there's no growl, you know, crowds or, or, or officers trying to arrest Elijah.
0: Laining in his grave Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. During our study, we learned that Jezebel was the one that initiated the effort to kill Elijah for his acts against the priests that served as the worshipers of Baal. As we continue our study, we find that King Ahab was failing at his position as head of his household and allowing Jezebel to dictate the direction of his rule. Through the scripture, we learn that Ahab had many contacts with Elijah, but never had him arrested. It may have been because Ahab had respect or fear for Elijah, who served Yahweh. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress.
1: She learned it from her father, and she continued to worship Baal as well, and now she had these 450 prophets of Baal. And so when Elijah killed them, she immediately put a contract out on his head and went after him and had other people actually go after him to find him, to kill him in like manner. So we're, we're going to see that more tonight. And, and I also want to look at something within this chapter that I think is important, and that is the role of marriage uh, between a man and a woman. Because we're going to see Jezebel really thrusting herself and her authority over her husband Ahab. And we're going to see this um, happen in the 21st chapter, which we have yet to get to. And we will see it later on as well. And we're also going to look at faith versus fear. You know, here this man of God, Elijah, had just did this wonderful spectacle and and was like a hero of the faith, larger than life, it seems. And then a woman threatens his life, and he tucks tail and runs south. It just seems so out of place for a man of that stature and what he had just accomplished, what God had just accomplished through him. But faith versus fear, and also this idea of God speaking in a still, small voice. I like that. I like the fact that God doesn't yell at us. That when he really wants to speak to us, he speaks to us carefully, gently, in a way that is entreatable, In a way that we can understand and we will respond to. Because remember, God knows you better than you know yourself. And when he speaks to you, he knows the precise moment that he needs to speak to you. And he's already prepared your heart. He's waiting for that moment when you're ready. Because he's always ready to speak, but he waits in gentleness. He waits until you're ready to hear it. And sometimes he allows us to go through difficulties, to prime us, to get us to that place where we're just like, oh God, I am just so fed up. And he's like, okay, now I got your attention. Now I can speak to you kindly. I can speak to you where you're really going to understand, and it's going to make sense to you. And he does. And those moments, unfortunately, for most Christians, including myself, they don't happen every day. God speaks to me through his word, but I could honestly count on probably two hands where God has been, you know, in major points in my life, at, at, at different forks in the road of my life, God has always spoken to me in ways that I can't, I can't prove it to you. But I know he's spoken, and sometimes it's through his words, sometimes it's that still small voice. And then you simply trust him, and you step out in that. And of course, at the end here of this chapter, we're going to see the very beginning of Elijah's ministry, which is, um, we'll see more in Second Kings, we're going to see more of Elisha's ministry But let's go back to verse 1 now. It says, remember, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Yes, all that he had done, how he had killed her prophets. That's like taking her whole fleet of Mercedes-Benz and pushing them off a cliff in California. She was livid. She was upset. She was willing, you know, just flaming with anger to kill him. To kill and take out Elijah. And I think it's interesting that Ahab does this after the grace that Elijah had showed him. We didn't really talk about this tonight when when I was uh, summarizing chapter 18, but in chapter 18 there was a point in verse 41 where this, this drought had been going on for three and a half years. And you remember in verse 41 it says that Elijah said to Ahab, Go up now and eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So, you know uh elijah is being very kind to uh king ahab he doesn't deserve the kindness but in the god's love toward this man is still prevalent and elijah is being very respectful to him saying, hey, you better go up, eat, because it's going to rain, and this three and a half years of drought is about to end. So if I were you, I'd go up higher into the mountain, have your sacrifice, or eat whatever you're going to do, and do that, because the rain is coming. Now, if he didn't really care about Ahab, he would have just not even paid attention to him at all, and let him starve, or let him go hungry for a night. But he doesn't. He tells him. He says, it came to pass in the seventh time, this is verse 41 of chapter 18, that Elijah said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. And so he said, go up and say to Ahab, um, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. So here is another grace that Elijah had given to Ahab that Ahab didn't deserve. You know, you better get, you know, now that you've eaten, you might want to get down and get down to Jezreel where your, you know, your your temporary housing there go down there because it's going to rain. It's going to rain pretty hard. If he didn't care, he would have just let him go and said, you know what, you're a foolish man, and what you got, you got coming to you. But notice that Elijah didn't do that. He was in complete control because God was in control of him. And that's a good question for you and I. Does God have control over you? Because if he has control over you, then you're in complete control because you're in control of God. And he's got control over you. See, if I'm in control, I'm in a big mess. Because then I'm just doing my own thing. But when God is in control of my life, I'm in control. Because he's in control. And people notice that about you. Do you know that? When God is in control of your life? Well, everybody is frazzled and freaking out, you're the only one who kind of walks in the room and goes, what's, what's happening? And they're like, don't you know? It's like, no, and neither do I care. God's still on the throne. There's something about that peace that God does in the heart of a Christian that provokes people. It really does. It provokes them. And they're like, they look at you like a cat testing for new eyes. They're just like, what's the matter with you? And you're like, well, I've got the Spirit of God in me. And I'm not worried. But even after this grace that's been given to him. He still holds a grudge against Elijah and even refers to him as a troubler of Israel or his enemy. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 7, that's exactly what Ahab said to him. It says in verse 17, then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? What a way for a king to address a prophet. And yes, From his perspective, from Ahab's perspective, Elijah was a troubler because he didn't have good news to tell the king. And why didn't he have good news to tell the king? Because the king was so engrossed in his own idolatry and his own stubbornness, the only thing that Elijah could share with him is warning and judgment. And so therefore, there was only bad news for him. But at any moment, he could have turned from that. Ahab could have said, you know what, Elijah? Everything that you've said so far has come to pass. And you know what? I'm just really tired of fighting against God. Like he would tell Saul, Saul, are you tired of kicking against the goats? Are you tired? Are you, are you weary of it? Have you gotten to the end of yourself? He even told him that he was his enemy in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 20, which we have yet to get into. Ahab refers to him, and it says in verse 20, So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And I love what Elijah answered. He says, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. you sold yourself. Who did he sell himself to? Yes, our adversary, Satan. When you don't do God's will, you're serving the other master, lowercase m. People think, well, I'm, I'm serving you know, my own interests. Well, if you're not serving God's interests, you're serving your own interests. And I hate to say it, but your own interests are all wrapped up in the little ball called Satan's interests. Because it's all self-centered. And he is the king of self-centeredness. He is the king of self-focus. And so if you're self-focused and self-centered, you're listening to the Pied Piper of Satan. And you're not following Christ. It's that simple. And I love this. This confirms what Jeremiah said in chapter 17, in verse 9. What did he say? The heart, God tells Jeremiah, he says this to Jerusalem. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And I love it because the very next verse, verse 10, God answers his own question. So if the heart is deceitful above all things, who can know it? And God says in verse 10, I, the Lord, Search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings, God answers his own question because he alone knows. Does that bring comfort to your heart, to your weary heart tonight, that God knows? I find great comfort in knowing that he's omniscient. He knows all things. He can't learn anything Because he's completely aware of everything. What's coming around the bend? What's going to happen next year? The injury that I had today, or the injury that I'm going to have three years from now, or or the spot that's going to show up on the x-ray next month when I go in for my normal routine. He knows all of these things. And Christian, do you understand, even though we don't like to go through these things, can you trust him? Will you trust him for these things, knowing that he knows all things? He's going to prepare you. He's going to take care of you. Even to the very end, isn't he Emmanuel? Isn't that his name? God with us? Or is he God sometimes with us? Quasi Emmanuel. No, he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He will never leave you nor forsake you even on your darkest days. Even when your wife leaves you or your husband leaves you or your wife passes away or your husband passes away, even if your kids all abandon the faith and they're all going out and being wild, no matter what happens to you, you lose your job, your pickup truck has a flat tire, your dog bites you, somebody steals the, you know, flag off the back of your car or off the, off the back of your truck and takes your gun rack. God help. <laughs> but such is the unregenerate heart of man. Remember that Elijah served God. He didn't serve Ahab. And that's what attracted, I think, Ahab to Elijah. In the text, if you read it, there's meetings between him and Ahab. And Ahab was searching for him so that he could arrest him. But whenever they're together, there's no crowd, you know, crowds or, or, or officers trying to arrest Elijah. There's something about Elijah that Ahab really respected, I think. And remember that to be a servant of God, you cannot be a servant of man. You can't be a servant of of man and be a servant of God. Oftentimes when everyone else around you, even Christians, when they are screaming that you should do one thing or to do another, be obedient to God, even if you lose the friends, even if you lose your best friend and they want you to do something else that God has told you to do something opposite, you do what God tells you to do. Even if your family is mad at you because God has told you to do this and they want you to do that, Follow the Lord and leave the rest up to him. You must do that. For if you don't, your life will be messed up. It doesn't mean it's unrecoverable, but you're going to be quenching the spirit. Your life is going to be less than what it could be. Let the Lord work out those details in other people's life, but let him have you completely. How many of you, how many of us, has God have the full reins of our hearts? it's a question to ask privately god do you really have my heart or am i just going through the christian motion the motions of christianity and you know better than most but you know not so bad as others you know no you, you don't think about that your only one that you compare to is christ and i fall way short and that brings humility to me and that brings me to my knees and oftentimes that's what gets me on the carpet with my nose in the carpet crying out to God. And the world will say, oh, you poor fool, you lack self-esteem. I'm saying, I'm finding my esteem because I'm finding it in him, because I'm finding who I really am. And who am I really? I'm a sinner first and foremost, and I'm saved by grace. That's who I am. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And the order is very important. I'm a sinner first, and I've been saved by grace. And I never want to forget that. but be obedient what is what did paul tell the galatians in chapter 1 verse 10 for i do not persu- for i do, for excuse me he posed the question for do i now persuade men or god or do i seek to please men for if i yet please men i should not be the servant of christ there it is for us don't be a man pleaser be a god pleaser Even if the whole world goes against you, Elijah felt that very much. That's why he would say, as we read tonight, I'm the last one available, Lord, and they even want to kill me. And God let him get away with his pity party. But but toward the end, when he was on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, he finally said to him, Elijah, you're not alone. I heard you speak that before, and I let it go. But I'm telling you now that there are 7,000 there's a hundred other prophets that Obadiah, remember, uh, fed in the, in the caves when during the drought. They're still there, the hundred prophets. And guess what? There's seven other thousand people who have not bowed down and kissed Baal in worship. God always has his remnant. And if you have real godly friends, they will support you. And they will understand you if you are obedient to God, even if nobody else likes it. And if not, then be obedient to God and let the pieces fall where they may. Sometimes the greatest of friendships sever because one has gone carnal and the other one is growing closer to God. And so be it. Because if they are not growing with you, and they are not willing, even if they're not in the same place. As long as you're growing together, that's all that matters. But when you have a friend that decides to turn away, you keep going. You reach out to them. You love them. You tell them the truth. You try to throw out the, you know, the life preserver and bring them to you. But if they will not, then you keep going. Don't let any earthly friendship keep you. Notice in verse 2 it says then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time so this is a direct threat from Jezebel and we found out about Jezebel in chapter 16 and it tells us in verse 31 a little bit about this woman it says and it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for Ahab to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat that he took as wife Jezebel the Daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him, completely giving himself up and not serving Jehovah, but rather serving this false god. So now this young lady is being brought up in a very uh, privileged environment. She's the queen, or she's the king's daughter. So Jezebel, as a young woman. Her her dad's king, assuredly, he gave her the very best of everything the world could offer. She was born with the proverbial silver spoon in her mouth. And her father was an idolater, and she learned to be an idolater as well. And was very likely a very selfish, self-centered woman. She probably went to the best schools, had the best clothing, was in the right social circles, and from the world's perspective, she married into privilege and authority by marrying Ahab, king of Israel. And after this chapter, in chapter 21, we see that she usurps Ahab's authority and has another man killed because Ahab was lusting for this man's vineyard, and the man wouldn't sell it to Ahab But she goes up and above, usurps the king's authority, uses his own signet ring, makes things happen, has the man killed, and then presents this vineyard to her husband. And God, through Elijah, will pronounce judgment, not only upon Ahab, but also upon Jezebel. And we'll see that. But notice how off-kilter this relationship with Ahab and Jezebel was. Even though he was the king of Israel, Ahab seemed to have little authority over his own house and his reign. She was ruling not only her house, but also she was the power behind the throne and the kingdom. And she's the one who initiated the, uh, the contract on Elijah's head. It wasn't Ahab. It wasn't him. It was her. And he did nothing to stop her. And as the husband, as the man of the home that God had created him to be, he should have said to his wife, you will not do this thing. It's wrong and you're not going to do it. And if she was a godly woman, which she's not, she would have gladly submitted to her husband because that's God's order. And even though Ahab could have seized Elijah and imprisoned him, notice that it was, it was her. So let me ask you a question. When do you know that God has let a culture or a people or a country go What are some of the symptoms, the hallmarks of a society or a people or a country when God has kind of taken his hand off the steering wheel and let them do what they want? Well, Isaiah tells us in chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, God speaking through Isaiah the prophet concerning Judah and Jerusalem says this. In verse 12, he says, As for my people, notice, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. Children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Oh my people, God says, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. And it doesn't mean, please understand this, before I even get on this, women have a wonderful role, and God has given men a wonderful role. And when they fall into those roles, there is There's peace and there's harmony, and it works the way God intended. But whenever we start mixing and matching these roles and abdicating roles to the other, we create a hellstorm in our life and in our family and in our Culture, and that's exactly what we're seeing. But the man is to be the head over the woman. It doesn't mean that the man is smarter, it doesn't mean that the man is more capable. There are men, women, who are smarter than their husbands and more capable sometimes than their husbands, but it doesn't matter because God has said, I want you, husband, to be the head, and your wife is to be submitted to you, but you are to treat her. With the utmost respect. You are to love her as Christ loved the church. And is that a tall order, guys? Yes. That's a really tall order. And that's a sobering thought. So it's none of this bravado. I'm the man, the king of the jungle, pounding his chest. Woman, do what I tell you to do. Where's my slippers? Where's my pipe? Where's my dinner? Where's the evening paper? I want this all ready. So when I walk in the house and put down my briefcase, tell how dated that is, right? Put down my, I'm thinking of, you know, Leave it to Beaver or something. You know You better do all this stuff. In Genesis three sixteen, God pronounced judgment upon the serpent, upon Adam and upon Eve. But one of the things he said to Eve, he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. And these are the, the consequences of her sin, of, uh, of rebelling against God's word and caving into the desire. Notice what he says to her. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you.